welcome one and all episode 31 of the american craftsman podcast three one yeah big 31 um got a good one for you this week i think yeah we got a couple of nice features yeah um so yeah we're we're getting into spring here oh warming up a little bit we got uh 66 it's gonna be today which is nice yeah you northeasterners know well, I guess the Midwesterners, they're not getting spring yet, are they, in the Midwest? Uh, you know, the Midwest is weird. It gets real hot and it gets real cold. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But they get those much rougher winters than we do. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. So. Um, It was 29 last week here, though, so. Yeah, yeah. Not happening fast. <laughs> not fast enough. We got a speciality for the beer of the week. Yeah, so um, our buddy Sean... Uh, made with marks i believe is his instagram let me just double check that he's so he's out in arizona um and his buddy owns a brewery yes made with marks sean marks uh his buddy owns a brewery and uh we were talking about it on clubhouse a little bit mm-hmm. and i said uh hey listen we're gonna i'm gonna send you a couple beer glasses send us a couple beers we'll try them out on the podcast yeah um so the brewery is uh Kitsune Brewing Company. And the beer that he sent us is called Under the Moon. It's an American IPA. And actually, I pulled up a little uh, blurb about it on uh, Untapped, which if you're a beer drinker, Untapped is sort of this, um, I guess it's an app now, but originally it started out as just like a website where people could share reviews mm-hmm. of, of different beers. Um, it says Simcoe. This wonderfully bitter and fruity IPA is our step into some classic beers. This American IPA is a light roasty tan color that offers wonderful citrus notes, smooth tasting, and hot bite that will resonate through the night. At 6.9%, feel free to grab another and enjoy the night. Yeah, I don't know about you, 6.9. I'm good for about one at this point. <laughs> it's the middle of the work day here for us. Yeah. <laughs> says, drink fresh in a wide mouth glass and store cold. Brewed and canned by Simple Machine Brewing Company. Um, so that's a, a thing that a lot of breweries do. You know, the the infrastructure to, to can beer is, and to brew beer, it's expensive. So yeah. um, a lot of brewers are collaborating with other breweries and uh, actually brewing and canning or bottling their beer um, at existing breweries. So. Oh yeah, it's got some uh, definitely some ice going on in there. Oh yeah, we got these a little too cold. <laughs> oh there wow! We go. I had to give my can a little bit of a squeeze. Yeah, gonna have to. Uh oh, let this sit for a bit before drinking it. Definitely not advisable to get your beers this cold. I'm going to go get some paper towels. Oh, yeah. Stem the flow. Oh, I'm overflowing too. Yeah. Well, we botched this review, huh? (laughs) Anywho. We got it just a little bit too cold. We'll, uh... Can we check that out in the editing room? No. Um, 
we, that's the beauty of this podcast. There is there is no, no post editing whatsoever. It, it, you get all of our screw ups. Um, yeah, look at yours. Yours is uh, coming up over way yeah. over up over the top. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll leave these beers to the side for now. We'll let them get up to temperature and then give it a sh- give yeah. it a try. Um, yeah, don't freeze your beers out there, folks. It was the paper towel trick that did us in. Yeah. Yeah, usually we have a problem with the beer being too warm. Well, you want to jump into the uh, tool of the week while yeah, we... Uh, yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, we've been going for 30 weeks. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of tools that uh, we keep thinking <laughs> we're going to run out of tools to do for the tool of the week. But it only takes a, a little, you know, scan around the shop to see that there's stuff here we haven't spoken of and are really useful. Uh, one of those things is this Bessie Deep Reach Clamp. So it's an F-style clamp. Um, they call it a Deep Reach Clamp. So it got nearly a 7-inch throat on it, and it opens up to about 16 inches. Nice. Um, and this is one of those clamps. We're lucky to have just two of them Um most people don't have them because they're like 50, 60 bucks each, depending on where you find them. Um, and they're heavy and a little unwieldy, but this is the kind of clamp that when you need it, there's really no other clamp that's in the shop that's going to do the job. Um, and maybe once every single project, that thing comes out. Oh, yeah. And go, there's nothing else that will do it. I mean, we... I guess you could, we could cobble together some stuff and sometimes calls or what have you, but the simplicity of that and being able to reach in and go over and around something. Uh, so I would say if you, you spot one like at a, like a, a sale company, you know, like clearing out some of their old stuff, that's how I got mine. I think I paid about 20 bucks for them. Man, I can't. I'm over here trying to pour the beer into the glass and not, not cooperating. Yeah. Yeah, if you see any Bessie clamps for sale at any type of yard <laughs> sale or... Just buy them. Yeah, just buy them. Um, yeah, where those really shine are for work holding because yeah. uh, you can get deep onto like a table or a bench and get towards the center of a, of a work piece. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. We use it for that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that and their brutes. I mean, they, they're they're strong and yeah, a lot of a lot of power in them. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I tried looking up to see what the force was. I know like a regular Bessie, um, like the K buys. Were they about fifteen hundred or? No, I think they're only three hundred. Three hundred. Yeah. You sure? Mm-hmm. Wow. So these I bet are stronger than one of those K bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. The, um. So if you see them around, and and even if you don't, you know, find them used, might be something to think about, you know, throwing into the budget for your next job. Oh, yeah, they definitely uh, come in handy. Yeah. Pick up two. It's always good to have a pair. Uh, 100 bucks. What do you find in there on the old interweb? This says that the K-Buddies are rated at 1700 Seventeen hundred. I just read three hundred somewhere else. I don't know if uh, if 
we're getting marketing that's, wank from Bessie or <laughs> that's the metric conversion. Yeah, what I read was was BS. <laughs> oh man, I want that beer. Yeah, it's getting there. Yeah. Let's see. Look up the Bessie. If anybody knows, anybody has some definitive uh, answer. Bessie, beep. Feel free to share it with the crowd. Yeah, maybe too late by that point, but <laughs> yeah, considering this is on what what would we call this tape delay officially? Yeah, this uh, is a pre-recorded program. Pre-recorded. That's right. So. All the laughter you hear is is added in after the fact with a laugh track. They have these. Uh, our buddy Craig over at Silent Mill has a couple of these twenty four inch by twenty inch deep. Oh yeah, those yeah. I'd like to get a couple of. Those are crazy. Yeah, when I saw these, I figured I would never have a use for them, mm-hmm. um, but I bought them anyway, and you know, now I know better. Yeah, like these are like $270 clamps. Oh, those 20s, the 24s? 20, yeah, 24 by 20. Yep. Well, anyway, can't find it, so I want to inundate right. you with the more, more They're strong. They're strong around. enough. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's wood, so you can only, the strength only goes so far. Yeah. Like, we're not, uh, we're not bending pieces of steel here, no. so even 300 pounds would be more than yeah. enough. If your glue-ups aren't closing at 300 pounds, <laughs> you got a problem. Back to the joiner. Buy a new joiner or get a joiner. That's right. Uh, so uh, what do you think? I think we could take a sip of this beer, no? Yeah, yeah. Cheers. Look at that. Is that a piece of ice that just fell out of yours? Yeah. Oh, my God. What do you think? Good. It's too way too cold right now. I think this is the first for us. Yeah, it is. I see. Yeah, there was a bunch of ice on the bottom of the glass. <clears throat> yeah, you don't want to drink your beer at freezing temperatures. It's like uh, if you're cooking... And you're tasting, you don't want to season something that's going to be hot. You don't want to season it when it's cold. It's going to be over seasoned when you heat it up. That's right. Little little tip from the kitchen. The, the gourmands. I tell you, it's good. Yeah, yeah. We like the guest the guest beer of the week. Yeah. If anybody, we're not soliciting here, but you'd like <laughs> us to try a beer, you know somebody with a brewery, or you brew your own beer, or whatever, um, hit us up. We'll try your beer. Yeah. We're not quite shameless hucksters. No. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't mind buying the beer, but. Yeah, that's right. Every week we go out and we buy the stuff. All yeah. the tools that we promote on our tool week, we've bought with our own money. Yeah. No, I'm um, just interested in trying yeah. other people's beer. Um, so before we get into the questions, I wanted to, uh, wanted to mention, we talked about it, I think briefly last week. So this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, a week from today, it's April 14th at 1 PM Eastern time. 
we'll be doing the first of a of a series of things that we'll be doing. Uh, we haven't decided yet if it'll be like bi-monthly or quarterly or yeah. um, monthly. We don't know yet. So this is going to be our pricing and prefabrication protocol live stream. Um, Kitsune is just messaging me back. Um, live stream. This is for Patreon patrons only. So if you're interested, you can head over to our Patreon and uh, and join to get access to these live streams. So we have yeah. a we have a three dollar tier, a five dollar tier, and a ten dollar tier. And any of the three are are yeah. get entry into the uh, the live streams. So we'll be going over um, how to interact with clients from the very beginning, the first interaction, how to price a job, how to how to present your bid, um, and we'll be providing the documents that we use that Rob has created over you know the last twenty years. Um, and that we use to streamline this whole process. Right. How to price a job and present it, you know, and to do it without taking a lot of time. That's (laughs) That's the biggest thing. You don't make money by bidding jobs. (laughs) And, um, you know, we're going to talk about how to vet a client, how to, how to know if it's even worth your time to get into getting a price to this person. Right. Right. Um, yeah, there's all those details, but the, the efficiency is really part of this whole process. Yep. Yeah, and you know, in future ones, I'm sure we'll be getting into design and different types of fabrication, all kinds of stuff like that. So yeah, based on the interaction we've had with uh, our our patrons and just the general listeners uh, of the podcast, we're gonna tackle some topics. Yep. Cool. So you want to get into the questions? I, I yeah took a look at this first question here, and this might be the question of. Uh, of all time for us right here, right? <laughs> it's a good one. It, it is a good one. So, uh, Iron Chef Woodworking, Frank Lloyd Wright's your judge. What main course are you making? <laughs> Cheers. That's from Low Country Modern on Instagram. They, yeah, they've always got good questions. Everybody knows what uh, Iron Chef is, right? Yeah, I would hope yeah. so. If not, just look it up. But yeah. um, I would say... The first thing that popped into my head was like some kind of light fixture. Something that has glass and has, uh, you know, some divided lights. So that's kind of the angle I'm going. Yeah. I was thinking, I don't know why initially I thought of something we'd done already. And one of the things that popped into my head was that uh, that bench uh, slash file drawer that we made for Cheryl Parker. That sat at the top of our staircase, remember, with the curved. Oh um, yeah, put yeah. That walnut. Yeah, band well, that wasn't there. a bench at all. Well, yeah, you sit. You could sit on top of it. No, it was like thirty-six yeah. inches high. Are you sure? Yeah, I don't. It had I, three drawers. Yeah. yeah, I guess I don't really remember it that well. Then, you know, why I was thinking was because. Um, he was big into the, you know integrating into the house and for the person and that was something that we had kind of free reign with mm-hmm. we just said told it's going to go up here i want it to blend in with this office set which by coincidence i'd made a long time ago before we uh uh were partners so we had there was a lot of integration going on which mm-hmm. is big and um you know, we tried to suit her personality as yeah. well as 
uh, mixing the form and the function really well. That was a cool piece. Yeah. I sat in the house for a while, and everybody that came into the house wanted it. Yeah, we showed that off yeah. to a couple of people. We were like, all right, you got to go inside Rob's house to see this <laughs> thing that we built. Because, yeah, she was out of town for, for quite some That's time. That's right, out of state over mm-hmm. in Arizona. But I like your idea. I mean, those uh, those stained glass patterns yeah. and, and all that stuff, That's we have that book in there where it's it's sort of like a bucket list kind of item to get to work on something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, now that we have sort of a connection with the, is it Manhattan glass? Manhattan stained glass, yeah. That For this Dutch door, we know a guy that does this work. Yeah, and actually did a, a, a an original, a, a uh, refurb, I guess you would say, on mm-hmm. a um, an actual Frank Lloyd Wright yeah. piece, stained glass. So we could, we could actually work something into one of our designs. Yeah. And he could execute the stained glass piece portion of it yeah that'd be cool yeah and i like the idea of uh something small scale you know working on something a little smaller more delicate and being able to focus more energy on it just because of the you know with size limitations like bigger things just take more time inherently so that you have if you're under a certain time constraint you can you can't put as much focus onto it oh yeah i mean imagine if we got to make one chair or something like that but we're always making these big pieces that take a lot of material, a lot of time, yeah, and a lot of like sanding, finishing, all the the stuff that people consider not too glamorous. Yeah, I mean something like that, you could literally plane it all. Mm-hmm. Whereas, <laughs> yeah, we got to get the uh, machines. Yeah, a yeah. two by four by eight foot tall cabinet with multiple parts and pieces. Yeah. Ain't nobody paying for a hand plane finish on that. No, no. We got we have to, you know, rely on machinery. Mm-hmm. Save time. So uh that was a that was a great question just to cause it got us to thinking. Yeah. You know, and like what's Frank Lloyd Wright's criteria and everything. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, you know, because we're all fans, whether we even know it or not, everybody out there who does some sort of craft is probably a fan of Frank Lloyd Wright or one of his disciples because of all the work he did in the 20th century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like music, you know. Mm-hmm. You can't be a a fan of uh, Metallica and not realize that Black Sabbath directly right. influenced them. <laughs> exactly. Something to that effect. I'm sure there's a better analogy there. <laughs> right, and and they were influenced by, you know, some of the blues guys and mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, know what your... Uh, what your house is built on. Yeah. That's it. Flip the question. If you were cooking for Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright, <laughs> what are you going to make him? <laughs> yeah. I'd have to bust out some of my, you know, my twists on uh, old family cuisine, yeah. you know, Italian stuff. Even though um, my roots are in Sicily, uh, there's a, like a real northern Italian dish that I love to make and, and eat. It's creamy polenta yeah and um i love to then finish it in the broiler with like some um nice mushrooms on top like uh you know a field mushroom yeah cremini not cremini like a porcini or something yeah yeah. it's got a little bit more uh earthiness to it not like those nice white button mushrooms no (laughs) no yeah 
Because, you know, you, you're just like using it as like a, a tasty almost garnish. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I love that. Uh, love nice salad and, and roasted vegetables. Mm. Um, maybe some chicken in the oven, you know, as we call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I, I cook so like uh, off the cuff all the time. Yeah. Like I'm not a recipe user. I reference recipes, but I, I don't you know, cook from recipes. So a lot of times I'm just working with what I have. Um, I actually, I get like anxiety trying to like think of something like, like to, if I got people coming over to think about what I want to make and, and going to the store and buying, Uh, it gives me total anxiety because I just, (laughs) I get like, uh, and you're a really good cook analysis paralysis. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm, I'm better off just like saying, all right, I got this in the freezer. I got this in here and just making something. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, you know, we all we're all weird. <laughs> I probably do good on that chop show, <laughs> right? No time to think, just yeah. execute. It's like, all right, these are what yeah. this is what you got. I'm like, all right, I can figure that out. That was good. All right, got a question here from our buddy Andy, one of our patrons. Uh, what do you guys use to clean your workspace? An air hose, broom, or not at all? <laughs> I wish it was the last one there. Yeah, we'd have uh, dust to the ceiling, but. I mean, we, we use the air hose uh, minimally because it just kind of spreads the dust mm-hmm. and puts it in the air. like vacuum. We like brooms. What we really, really like is have somebody else do it. Yeah, we would like that. Um, that's That's been a long, uh, unfulfilling saga in the last five years or so. Um. I'll uh, I'll digress a bit and say I was lucky enough for about 10 years to have these two kids that were brothers that one followed the other through my shop. And they used to come like every other day, sometimes more. They come in after school, they ride their bike over because they started when they were in junior high. Mm-hmm. They'd come over and after some training, they were just self-propelled. They would drag all the mats out. They would clean everything. Like they'd vacuum all the machines. They'd put all the tools away. It was awesome. Awesome. Yeah, now we're relegated to cleaning ourselves. <laughs> a bunch of bums. We, we've tried, right? We've tried to get a few. Yeah. It's not that we haven't run across a few kids that were willing. Just not able. Yeah. Um, and... You know, to be fair, we didn't spend a lot of time training them. Uh, We kind of figured, you know, sweep up, clean up, dust up. But it's it's a new breed out there that we're not tuned into. Yeah, I think. um, It's like like if if it was me and it was my first day and I was a kid like it you would have walked in the next day and been happy. <laughs> I think it's that, you know, these kids literally just don't know. No. Like the bar has been set so low that they yeah. just don't know what's acceptable and what's not. Right. Like what a shop should look like when it's cleaned up. Yeah. But you can't just leave big patches of uncleaned area next to a clean area. Yeah. Like <laughs> just look around and clean up the mess. <laughs> I mean, it's right. not. Not rocket science. <laughs> if you see dust and wood chips and debris, 
Clean it up. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I see some stuff over there, but that's probably fine. Yeah. No, no, no. get it all. (laughs) (laughs) I want to clean it all up. Yeah, so that's our dream. That's our dream. We get another another couple of kids in here after school and self-motivated because we were good payers. Uncle Sam, if you're listening, there'll be 1099. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we weren't cheap about it. We were, and we were good bosses. We, we got the nice sound system. We let the music, you yeah. know, ring out. As, yeah, it's terrible as whatever they're listening to yep. is. Oh, so that's it. We use mostly broom and vacuum. Yeah. Yeah, like my bench top, I like to uh, vacuum out the tool tray every now and then. And yeah. uh, blower is used mostly just to blow off work pieces before they yeah, get finished. Yeah, dust. Um, or, you know, when you get dust packed into like a little mm-hmm. edge, something like that. But yeah, broom and a and a dustpan. Yeah, the old school way. It's nice and quiet. Sometimes it's medita- meditative or meditative. What, what would you meditative, say? Meditative, I think. Meditative. Just push that broom around. Yeah, and you got to be gentle with the broom. Otherwise, you might as well just blow, <laughs> use the right. blower because you're just putting dust in the air. <laughs> that used to piss me off, people on job sites, yeah. with going too yeah, rough yeah. with the broom. I'm like, dude. And you got to knock the broom out every couple yeah. swipes. They didn't have the green dust, obviously, which was... Uh, no, no. Now, in New York, that's that's on all the union jobs, those barrels of green dust. Yeah, isn't that some kind of wood... Uh, I, I don't know what it's composed of, but it, it weights down the dust. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd spread it out, and it comes red, too, I know, but we'd still call it green dust. Um, I mean, it's very effective because, you know, we used to put down masonite over all the floors in New York. Right. Um, and tape off all the joints, so it, it was easy to sweep up if uh, you put that stuff down. Uline sells it in a 300 pound drum. Yeah. For 100 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Controls. So you know it can't be too much. Controls dirt and dust without leaving an oily residue. Doesn't say what it is. Green sweep. Well, if it's 300 pounds for $100. Green dust. Yeah. Sweeping compound. 70 pound drum. Top grade. What are you? What is green dust? Doesn't say. I see. Proprietary. You, yeah. Does anyone out there use green dust? Yeah. Usually it'd do, be like big know. places like warehouses, you know? Yeah. That's what it says. Recommended for warehouse manufacturing and construction site cleanup. Yeah. Yeah. Sweeping compounds. Let me search that. Yeah. What? I mean, what's in it that keeps the dust down? I mean, I, I could, it feels moist, but it's not wet. You know what I mean? That kind of like, huh. it feels like if you squeezed it together, it would stick to itself, but it doesn't. So this is Zep sweeping compound. Made with renewable oils designed to hold down dust on floors while sweeping. Compound adheres to dust particles, making them easier to be removed. Whereas green dust said it was non-oily or not no oil. Is there, is there a distinction there? This is 
controls dirt and dust without leaving an oily residue. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say no oil. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't leave any residue. I, that I know. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, <laughs> used plenty of green dust in my day. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Back to the topic at hand. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, oh, man, look at this next question. This is like low-hanging fruit, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to hurt some feelings on this one, probably. <laughs> Are we going to let it fly on this or are we going to sugarcoat it? Mm. <laughs> Use your discretion. Okay. This is from one of our patrons, Connor, with a K. What's the rub on epoxy tables? People seem to either love them or hate them. Well, well, Connor, um, for us, it's a, a an aesthetic thing. It's an environmental thing. Um, I just don't like the look of it. It's very unnatural to me. Um, I'm, I'm, I prefer the more organic looking and simpler, not so uh, sort of bright and in your face. The neon. Yeah, even if it was like a black or a white epoxy. Um, okay. It's just, it's artificial to me. Um, I'm a big fan of like Nakashima, who has a very natural and organic sort of look to his stuff. Um. So, yeah, for those reasons, I don't like it. I, I don't like the fact that it's a petroleum product. I know there's Ecopoxy, which is plant-based, blah, blah, blah. It's plastic at the end yeah. of the day. I don't care what it's made out of. I, I don't I don't need plastic in my wood. Yeah. Um, but the river table, you know, if it's blue, uh-uh. that kind of simulates a stream, doesn't it? Isn't that the whole... Uh, Not really. Isn't that natural? Uh, streams are clear. <laughs> Not in the cartoons. <laughs> These people are living in a cartoon world. Yeah, there's something about the river table, the epoxy table, and now the epoxy anything. Yeah, there's a lot of epoxy stuff. That kind of, for the most part, rubs woodworkers the wrong way. Um, the stuff that's only epoxy... I'm fine with that. Yeah. Because that's, oh, you're working with, that's what you do. You work with epoxy, but don't put it with the wood. Right. Why are we offended? Really, why are we offended by this addition of epoxy into a slab of wood? I think it's just a, a mishmash. They don't go together. Yeah. Is there something deeper? I mean, well, there probably, of course, there probably is. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get into the Freudian reasons. Um, I'm, I'm going to say it affects me before I even get down to the Freud level. <laughs> there's a, there's some surface angst on my part, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been... Um, I mean, yeah. a fad is, is also something that we don't really enjoy. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why we don't have any clients asking us to do anything with epoxy. Right. It's not a oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm getting in over my head on this one. <laughs> it's not a I don't know. It's just uh, it's just distasteful to me. Yeah, I I think that um you know I don't want to uh, put anybody off or and we're certainly um 
you know, fallible and, and all those other things. But I think we've spent um, our lives developing these certain skill sets that kind of differentiate us from people that work with wood on the weekends or build decks or other things like that, where there's certainly there are skill sets that, you know, are needed to do those things that we don't have. But this is our uh, milieu. This is this is what we do. We make furniture, we design furniture and build furniture. And that's that's a small group of people who are capable of doing that. And yeah. we take great pride in that. Mm-hmm. So then comes this fad where basically anyone could lay two pieces of wood together, pour some epoxy over it, and get a certain amount of acclaim for this, and it offends us on some levels. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Because the layman's going to go, wow, they built a table. And we're in our hearts going... No, they didn't build the table. They glued two pieces of rough wood together with epoxy and stuck it on metal legs. Yeah. Don't mix them up with us. Yeah, it's a whole different, so a whole different thing. <laughs> there's some very deep, you know, I talk to my therapist about this all the time. <laughs> I think what bothers me most about it is how it's uh, consumed like there's only so much conversation going on about woodworking right? and this kind of stuff has it's, consumed such a large portion of it that it's sucking the air out of the room running it? out of things to talk about. I got nobody to talk about this with cause everybody else is talking about these things that aren't, um, interesting or relevant to what we do. So yeah. I think that's a big part of it for me is, um, something that I find so uninteresting is such a large part of the woodworking conversation these days. Yeah, well, it's it's readily accessible for beginners and people who don't have a lot of experience, space, tooling, what have you. Yeah, I mean, I will say it, to do it at a high level, um, yeah. it does to do take, anything at a high level is an art. Yeah, it does, to, and it do, it takes skill and and uh, a lot of know how because you have to flatten this thing and you mm-hmm. have to polish it so that the epoxy doesn't look like shit. Um, so that's not to say that there's not people that have a lot of skill that are doing it, but, um, it's just opened the door to a lot of amateurism. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's like there in what we do, there is no amateurism and it's fine to be an amateur, but it's just when it, uh, I don't know. Well, I think because the general public lumps us all together, right? It's not the folks that are actually doing the epoxy. Uh, it's, it's that, you know, you'll run into somebody in the supermarket and go, oh, yeah. Oh, you make furniture? Yeah. You know, like those like those tables. Oh, I love those tables with the and you just want to strangle them. It's yeah. Like, no, no, not like that. <laughs> I, had to, I had to develop skills over a 20 year time period to build this table. Right. Yeah. There's comp, you know, there's joinery that dates back. 500 years in here, techniques that have been, you know, right, right, for half a millennia. <laughs> so, so there's that, you know, some of it's petty, yeah, some of it's envy and jealousy and all those ugly things we don't like to admit that we have in mm-hmm. us, but 
they're there nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, we're known to be a little petty. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> For those who are long, uh, long-standing listeners, you'll notice there was no petty gripe of the week because... We realize that we're yeah that we gripe enough. Yeah, we we have plenty of petty gripes, and you know it was it was kind of fun at first, but um, we kind of put it off on the shelf for now. It'll probably uh, reemerge at some time, make a guest slot appearance, and uh, once we get to having our our guests back, we'll always give them the opportunity. And yeah, people relish the opportunity to air their petty gripes. It's good to have a soapbox. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, don't let us deter you from making your epoxy tables. No. Um, that's just our opinion. Yeah. <laughs> your experience and mileage may vary. And if you know me, if if we interact, uh, like, on social media, <laughs> I'll bust your balls. Brad, I don't know if Brad, if you still listen, but he knows. I, I message him when he's making an epoxy table. I bust his balls. because Yes, we have friends that use epoxy. <laughs> yeah, plenty of them. <laughs> I got friends that like bad music and eat bad food, and yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I'm not going to hold it against you. We're we're judgmental in an odd, non-judgmental kind of way. Yeah, we want better <laughs> for you. Uh, so I hope that answers the question. <laughs> we got one here from uh, Alex, another patron. What is your percentage of paid marketing versus word of mouth, and has it changed over time? I think we touched on this a little bit last week. Um, we really don't do any paid marketing. Um, I'll promote a post on Instagram every now and then a couple yeah. times a year, maybe half a dozen times, not for anything crazy, a couple days, 50 bucks, something like that. But, uh, yeah, it's all word of mouth. Yeah. Um, I think this is the way it goes in this sort of thing. It's, um, if we go back to the beginnings of this shop. I took out one ad one month in one of those magazines like Architectural Digest. Mm -hmm. I think it was, I still remember it because it left a scar. It was $6,600. Oh, God. Uh, I think it was a, it was a quarter page ad. And when I tell you You're like, that, this is going to book me out for two years, this ad. Yeah. The phone didn't ring for 29 days. And I wound up. Getting a job from it, I, I'm surprised I don't remember which job it was, where it did wind up just breaking even, like the profit from the job paid for the ad. But it probably shaved about three years off my life, agonizing over that decision to do it. And then, you know, not getting any calls. This was back in the day where, you know, literally was waiting for the phone. To yeah, ring. yeah. Um, there was no social media or the internet really wasn't uh, the way people advertise their business. $6,600. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably giving those ads away now because yeah. who the hell's reading magazines? Exactly. You know, it's like, all right, this is the highbrow audience I need to reach. And, oh, man. So it happened once, and that was a good 15, almost 20 years ago probably, let's say. Jeez. And never again. I learned my lesson. See, if we were to advertise, I'd be inclined to do it like on something like Sea Streak. Mm -hmm. uh, so Sea Streak is a, a high-speed ferry that goes from, they have two locations here, one in Highlands, one in Atlantic Highlands, and they go to Wall Street and Pier, I think it's Pier 11. So one goes uh, right to Wall Street and one goes to Midtown. Uh, so all the people that are taking that 
It's yeah. not cheap. It's they got the, good jobs. Yeah, it's the um, it's the fastest, easiest, and most comfortable way to get to New York City um, yeah. for people That's that work there. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, well, sixty six hundred for that magazine. You can only imagine what it probably is for them. <laughs> and um, that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was. I guess it was probably. I bet those ads, like you said, are much cheaper now. Well, ridership is down now too. I'm sure. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll look into that. Yeah. So uh, 99.9% is the answer. Yeah. Word of mouth. And repeat business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing better than a referral. Oh, yeah. Um, people, you know, you're hoping that when that phone call comes with the referral, they kind of know the price structure and things like that. Um, yeah, you want them to say like, oh, I got a guy, but he's not cheap. <laughs> right. That's exactly <laughs> That's exactly how they describe us. <laughs> they're good, but they're not cheap. <laughs> or if they talk to my wife, that's the, that's also the first thing she's going to say. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> good for her. <laughs> All right, Tom, one of our patrons. I love hearing from the patrons. Oh, we got Brian before that. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Brian. Brian, uh, St. John Woodworks on Instagram. Installation preferences. Build and install or build and have someone else install. Ah, it is but a dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if we didn't have to install anything, we'd be happy as a clam. Yeah, if we never left the shop. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate installation. I was a kitchen installer for whatever it was, 18 months yeah. or so, almost two years. Um, I, I just don't like doing installs. I don't. Yeah. There's too much... Uh, too much unknown how things are going to work out what you're going to need you're i'm always paranoid about not bringing enough stuff Mm -hmm. so yeah i'd rather just be here making stuff and somebody else install it but then you run to the problem of having someone who can install it who knows everything about all the moving parts you know Mm -hmm. it's so it's hard i i'd prefer to just build freestanding things that don't need to be installed yeah that's i mean that's a joy like this piece when it finally goes Mm -hmm. even though it still has a little bit of uh, work to do there. I mean, we're pushing it into place, but we're going to make sure that the plumbing's accessible and all that right. stuff. But um, yeah, I get I get anxiety when I have to go somewhere and leave the shop and my comfy confines, the bench, everything's flat. You know, clamp here and uh, you know, cut there. I don't like working in people's homes. I remember when I would do kitchens, I would put one day at the front of the uh, installation where I would have the moving company bring everything in. I would have everything placed, and I'd kind of get a lay of the land, make sure everything's going to fit. And then I'd always have a day. I'd, I'd work there for two days, and I'd tell them, I'm going to go back to the shop for a day because I wanted to have a day to, like, make little the filler if I have to like scribe something mm-hmm. I want to bring it all back to the shop <laughs> so I used to spend you know five days doing a three-day install because I didn't like it you know to I didn't want to rush in there and yeah. try and make it happen yeah that's the problem with installs is you're either uh, over prepared or under prepared mm-hmm. and you have to you have to make a uh, compromise somewhere with something, yeah. whether it's the quality yeah. or the, the ease of the install because you got too much shit with you. 
Right. That I mean, I would pack up the truck with every tool I had, and um, you know, most of the time you didn't need much, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, I. Jeff and I would be so happy if we just stayed here and just waved as the truck with the furniture and cabinets were just going down the road. Send the check. That's it. And, uh, you know, maybe someday that's where we'll be. Yeah. Like I said, I'd love to do all stuff that that was not installed. Yeah. Freestanding pieces of furniture. I mean... There is a, a big obsession with the built-in. I know. The whole idea of built-in, built-in, built-in. We really, I, this last thing we did up in Easton, that the the black modern stuff, we had to talk them out of built-in. Yeah. And for a couple of good reasons, it, it shouldn't be built-in. Right. Yeah, a lot of times that's a situation where it, it just doesn't make sense to be built-in, but like also the idea of, being able to take it with you. Mm-hmm. You're going to sink $15,000 into this little nook in the wall, and then you're yeah. going to move out. You're going to sell the house. You're not going to get it back. No, because the next person's going to probably tear it out anyway. And and if you don't want it that long, then you're fucking with the wrong guys because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> call somebody else because we're going to build it yeah. to be there, you know. Yeah, for your kids. Yeah. Um, yeah, they wanted that that modern and airy sort of, uh, look for his. I mean, these are big pieces, over four feet wide, and almost nine feet tall. Yeah. So, to create that um sleek and kind of open look was was the major hurdle. And they said, "Well, we want it built in so that you know it looks like it's part, like it's always been there." And so this is where something like SketchUp or Fusion comes in handy. Mm-hmm. We said, all right, here it is, drawn up. This is what it looks like. And then they got it. They said, oh. You may think it's going to look better, but it's not. No, you want that negative space around the piece. That's what really lends itself to this design. Um, Whereas built in, it makes it look very traditional, even with the same exact, you know, design elements. Yeah, you just put a cabinet wall to wall. Um, it looks like a cabinet yeah. wall to wall. Yeah, it looks like you change the door profile. That's mm-hmm. it. I mean, yeah. Um, so yeah, come on, man, bring us, bring us plenty of work that's uh, standalone and uh, enough work that we could hire a crew to go put this stuff in. Yeah, yeah. So I got I got a uh, Kitsune brewing on the uh, on, on the, the horn got right here. Oh yeah, let's. They want to know how we're enjoying our brew. Well, I said, I said to him earlier, I said, "Hey, we're uh, we're gonna drink the beer on today's episode. Any info you want us to share?" He said, "It's a beautifully, slightly malted American IPA, great bitter and fruit flavors from the Simcoe hops. Such an easy drinking beer." Yeah, I'll agree with that. I mean, the technical stuff, I'm not uh, as uh, you know able to describe it that way, but. It's, it's good. It's good and easy drinking. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see if we can, uh, like, buy some beer and have them send yeah. it to us. Yeah, why not? I don't know what the uh, rules and regulations are on that, but we'll find out. Uh, what do we got here? Ah, uh-huh. it's from our buddy Tom McGuire, one of our patrons. He sent me a picture following this question. <laughs> Ever run your good pencils through the laundry? I'm guessing that uh, he has. Yeah. 
No, you know, my wife double checks everything and triple checks everything. And mostly the pencils stay in the bib. Yeah. But when I was uh, an overall wear, the pencils were up there in the top section of the bid, bib. And she used to triple check everything because she doesn't want me ruining her machine. Because, <laughs> you know, once she started finding things in the pockets... She said, oh, this guy's not smart enough to empty out his own clothes. He's going to have to get treated like a child. So that's that's never happened to me, thankfully. Well, I do my own laundry. Oh. And, uh, yeah, see, I don't, they stay in my apron, mm-hmm. and that's it. They, uh, they never come out. Right. So generally speaking, our pencils never get from the shop to the house. No, no, I never have a pencil in my pocket. Yeah. Yeah, so did you get a backstory from Tom? How did this happen? Uh, I didn't get a backstory, but I did get a picture. It was a um, graphlet, Pentel graphlet in the washing machine. Yeah, what'd that do to the rest of the clothes? Anything? Uh, No, I don't think it would have any effect. I could see it maybe kind of gumming up on the inside, Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. Yeah, no, we we treasure our uh, pencils here. Maybe a little bit too obsessively. Just maybe. <laughs> I keep the same thing in my pockets all the time, so I know what co- goes in yeah. co- and comes out. That's right. Yesterday, when uh, you misplaced your wallet. Oh, it man. Was... And that never happens. Right. Yeah. But we left the shop in a in a time that we never leave the shop. Well, and what it is, I'm coming from physical therapy, so yeah. I have... Uh, you got to like, change. I got, yeah, like short, like regular... Uh, like gym shorts. Yeah, gym shorts. I got gym shorts on, so then I come and I so I have it in my coat pocket, and then I come into the shop and I get changed into <laughs> work clothes, and then so it made it out of the jacket to my bench, and yeah, so yeah, it was very disconcerting. Yeah, I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, this never happens. Yeah, we're, we're creatures of habit over here, aren't we? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The ruts are deep here. I can see my son is getting getting like me that way, where he likes he's very regimented. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that. I like to know where my stuff is. I mean, I think that's totally a totally sane way to live. Yeah, there you go. Like we keep our clamps hanging on the wall in size order, which some people might think is oh, that's tame. Yeah, but remember over at Tom's. The clamps were just anywhere. Well, it's because there was only like three of them. But even the bar clamps used to make me crazy. <laughs> like just looking up there would make me oh, the, shake. Yeah, the pipe clamps, it was like a 72, two 24s, and then a 48. And then, it, yeah, they just all mishmashed together. And then I'd straighten them all out because I had to. So I didn't lose my mind. <laughs> you go back the next day and they're all like. Yeah. <laughs> oh man do we move on yeah sure all right yeah i think we we've covered that one how do you define what makes up craftsmanship oh nice question is it the skills you gain over time or the tools you use in your shop how do you explain craftsmanship to your clients that's uh from Corey ct woodwork on instagram that's those are Real good questions. Yeah, we're getting down to the nitty gritty here. Yeah. Um, I don't think tools have anything to do with craftsmanship. Yeah. 
Uh, they can certainly help your level of craftsmanship, um, but it's not a defining factor. I'll say you don't. It's not a prerequisite. So um, as long as you're working to the best of your ability and and pushing yourself to to become better, I think you are pursuing craftsmanship. Yeah. Um, it's not like a uh, a definitive. There's no definitive definition. There's no there's no ceiling on it either. Right. I don't know what the uh, the floor would be. <laughs> would you say it's more of a mindset? Yeah. Um. Yeah that that strive to do better and do your best. That's right. really at the heart of craftsmanship. Right. Caring. Hmm. Um. Because. Things happen no matter how skilled you are, careful you are. Things can go wrong. Uh, something doesn't happen the way you want it to or something's damaged or over yeah. time maybe a split or a warp or something. So part of that craftsmanship is in the aftercare as well, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, you know, it's so I, I agree with you. It. it has less to do with the actual output almost as it does to your attention to detail, given your level of experience and expertise and, mm-hmm. and your caring and your presentation and that sort of thing. Yeah, you could be a, a total newbie and be a craftsman. Right. And be making things that are super simple, um, like a, a chopstick. Exactly, exactly. Or you could be someone, you know, making reproduction Queen Anne furniture with hand carved right. flame finials. We couldn't touch any of that stuff. No, it's a it's a whole different yeah. different thing. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of levels to craftsmanship, but right. it's all in the mindset, I think. I mean, you could be a candy maker. I mean, oh, there's yeah. a difference. You know, I mean, somebody who's rolling up a a truffle, and somebody who's really just carefully, you know, like caressing that chocolate and it's tempered just right and they're rolling it out and, Making you know. tweels. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no matter what you do, there's a difference, right? Mm-hmm. And there are craftsmen in every trade and there are hacks in every trade, whether you're a, a plumber or a doctor or a woodworker. Yeah. Um, so uh, what about that that last part of the question? How do you explain craftsmanship to your clients? Um, I mean, it's never easy. It's, it's as you can tell, it's hard to articulate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we tend to fall back to, like, analogies and examples. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, of course, showing them previous work always mm-hmm. helps. Yeah, the... The car is a is an easy example, an analogy to make. You know, there all the cars are going to get you there, but mm-hmm. there's a difference between a Corolla and you know a, a Beamer, and then a Bentley, and all these things in between. Um, I think one of the things we talk about is our care and the selection of materials and finishes and things like that, and how we choose to do certain things. Um, it gives people the the knowledge that we do care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, again, a big part of being a craftsman is that you care about what's 
what's coming out at the end. Yep. Yeah, and the and the care is definitely what we try and um, impart on the client. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was in a uh, in a clubhouse room last night about interior design. I got up and was talking, and um, one of the it was an architect, a woman Grace was saying, you know, clients are buying off emotion, so you mm-hmm. need to um, play to that emotion, and not play sounds negative, but you right. need to, you need to use that because that's what we, that's what we do. We, it is an intrinsic investment. It's, mm-hmm. it's not just a, a physical object that you're buying. You're buying the story behind it and the, and the, the story that goes into making it. So very true. I'm, you know, think about our clients out there in Easton, the satisfaction they're getting now because they had something made for them that they didn't just pick out mm-hmm. like there's, there's a couple of ways I could go. Um, I see this in a, in a catalog and it was made for me, or I went to these folks, I told them what I wanted and they went through this whole process over a month. And I said, yes, no, I like this. I don't like that. And here's what I have now in my home. Yeah. Um, they have this deep ownership of the, this piece. Yeah, it was made for them and for them only. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you if you go to Restoration Hardware, you and 150,000 other people have that same mm-hmm. stupid table in your dining room. <laughs> and it wasn't cheap. <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> yes. Can a table be stupid? Yeah, people can be. <laughs> so I was getting some coffee the other day and... Uh, I put my car in reverse. <laughs> Drove right through the quick check. <laughs> I thought it said brake. It said gas. It just goes to show you don't send somebody for coffee if they don't know how to operate an urn. Yeah. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> Got another one from our buddy Andy here. This is a good one, too. Uh, we have a couple questions here, like that end up tying in, uh, this one kind of ties into the one before Can you guys talk about the lackadaisical mindset about making in the industry about making the lack, sorry. Can you guys talk about the lackadaisical mindset about making in this industry, meaning the general lack of enthusiasm and willingness to make something to the best of what you're capable of starting from the top all the way to the bottom. I work with a lot of people who really should have another career and it's discouraging, (laughs) but that's why you guys resonate so well. And my hope is that there are more of us than them. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Andy. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Um, you know, we touched on in the last couple of questions where it's just an unfortunate, um, truth about so many fields. So my first response is those guys that are lackadaisical in their current job, they're going to carry that attitude to their second, third, and fourth jobs down the road. That's that's my experience in this world. Um, Those are the things that you can't teach somebody. Yeah. Do you think that there's something out there for that person that they would be enthusiastic about, though? Does everyone have something? Um, It's possible, but... I'm going to guess that those people are excited about certain things in their life. It's just not work. 
Um, but shouldn't that be what they do? Yeah. Uh, well, if let's say just for argument's sake, your um, big thing in life is to shoot, you know, 18 holes and then go have a beer. Wow. Well, well. That's what gets you excited. That's what gets you up in the morning. You're going to have a hard time monetizing that unless you're a pro golfer. Yeah. Um, so that's going to cut out or most a, people. Or you're a gambler. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it's it's something that's important that we all do something we love, but we must all find something we love in the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's what Andy's talking about. You know, all right, we all got to come to work. Some days we got to come in here and sand. Some days we get to come in here and cut joinery or assemble. Um, and we have to uh, be enthusiastic about that. And in fact, uh, what's there's a little plaque over my bench. And it literally says... Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. I know somebody that likes quotes like that. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> and we're not really those touchy-feely types, but um, that is, I think, appropriate. You know, you have to, yeah. you have to at least be present. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's see if we could start getting into the meat and potatoes of this. Can we talk about it? Yeah, sure. Meaning the general lack of enthusiasm. Um, what well, do you think? I, I think Jeff? it stems from the this uh, systemic stripping of the craft out of these industries. That's that's a great point. Um, you know, a lot of this work has been shipped overseas, and it's it's so far removed from the general public now that um, people think that furniture just gets made by Santa's little elves, and it shows up on a boat, and then gets shipped to the Home Depot. Um, Santa's elves live in China. I thought it was in North. <laughs> these one, these ones do. Um, they are elf like. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know where the hell I was going with that. <laughs> Threw you off your mark there, yeah. didn't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, the the industry as a whole is kind of because there's so much low-level work going on, um, it's kind of looked at as, like, non-serious, I feel like. Like, the craft, it's not uh, as esteemed and as revered as it once was. You know, like when we tell people, we you know, we say this kind of thing all the time. Like we tell people that we make furniture, like they don't really understand they don't get what we mean. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. So it's like saying, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm a chef. And they're like, yeah, you work at McDonald's, right? Right. That's like what it's become. Um. So the, I, I think that's that's pretty true. Maybe humans aren't cut out for assembly line work or this this drone sort of existence mm-hmm. um, and maybe telling everybody to, to walk it off and get with the program. That's just goes against human nature. Yeah. Like I, you know, we've worked in a production <clears throat> shop making frameless cabinets and uh, I've seen, I've seen uh, like on how it's made stuff like that, like big time operations, like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of like names off the top of my head. Uh, like California closets or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but more like cabinetry based. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, shit. 
Well, you know what I mean. And it's it's a regional thing, too. So you probably have ones by you that are different. But where there's a guy, all he's doing all day is putting the back on the cabinet. Like, yeah. that, that's not that's not craftsmanship. No. Um. So to expect that person to feel like a craftsperson and yeah. to be excited, like, that's a lot to ask. Yeah. I remember reading uh, some uh, article that described how uh, piecework, assembly line type work is some of the most ungratifying work there is because you never see something come to fruition, something that you've been working on. You've just seen that cabinet back or that cabinet door. Uh, You never get to see it in the person's house. Mm -hmm. And as you know, that's some of the most satisfying um, parts of our work. Yeah. I mean, that would be worth going out of the shop. <laughs> After yeah. we stop installing, yeah. we will have to go take site visits. Yeah, because it's a composed thing. Yeah. It doesn't look the same in here as it does no. there. Um, like those wall units, yeah, they look fine in here, but they right. look great when they were in. Right, with know? the the background and the setting, yeah. the way it was supposed to be. Um, so... He's, did we get to everything in the question? Can you guys talk about it? Yes, we've done that. Um, he works with a lot of people, should have another career. It's discouraging. It Well, there you go. We've experienced that too. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to make the best of your situation and everybody around you is just, oh, God, I can't wait till the weekend. Yeah, you can feel dragged down by them. Yeah, yeah, that's that's extra tough. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to start uh, putting up your uh, fences. <laughs> Turn the music up on your headphones. Yeah, and make the best of it. I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the hope that there's more of us than them. Well, uh, yeah, it seems that maybe the tide is turning, and more people are. Uh, focused on the craft of the of the industry rather yeah. than the the just like sheer output and profit margin. You um, generally have to create that opportunity yourself. Yeah. In today's economy, and I don't know the economy since when, mm-hmm. the jobs are for the masses and the craft is for the few. There's there's less money and there's less opportunity there. Um. So that's why most people just pick a job, do it, uh, you know, semi-half-heartedly and wait for the weekends. Yep. Uh, I, I saw it as a teacher. People I had, when I, was, when I was teaching in this junior high school, I'd be up there in my classroom and every single day, and I mean every day, the teacher who had the class down the hall from me would come in and she'd walk past my door and shout out the number of days left in the school term. <laughs> now, as a teacher, first off, I mean, teaching is a hard job. Mm-hmm. I don't want to downplay that at all. But between the holidays and everything else, you work 186 days a year. That's your contract, 186 days. Less than half. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it is. Because it would be, what? No, 372 is what? 365. It, Right, right. So what's 186? It would be 3... 183. 183. Times 2 is 365, oh. no? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you're off 
half the time. Yeah. And she would go by and go, 142. <laughs> and it was it was really a downer. That's like we used to have Friday. Thursday. It's Friday Junior. Yeah. That's right. Friday Junior. <laughs> Boy, but when you're in a miserable experience, it did buoy our spirits for a little while. It was a little joke and it would, you know, kind of lift you up a little bit. Friday mm-hmm. Junior. Like, yeah. Tomorrow's Friday. Yeah. After Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Um, and then you get those Sunday blues, if that's the way you are. We're we're kind of yeah. happy to come back to work on Monday. Oh, yeah. That's the way it should be. Yeah. We're we're lucky. But when I say lucky, we made our opportunity. We took all the risks. We left comfortable situations. We stepped into the great unknown. Mm-hmm. And we work and work and work every single day just to keep what we have. Yeah. Um, and if greater success comes our way, well, that's icing. You know, we're working towards it, but yeah. the real work is just to keep our heads above water. Yeah, you want more money or do you want to be happy to come to work? Mm-hmm. Right. Because I was making more money working for somebody. Yeah, we but. just, well, we'll buy less things. Jeff and I don't do anything. I didn't have any money in my wallet. No, we carry no money with us. We don't go anywhere. We don't eat out. We, you know, but if we got nice tools. Yeah. Well, it uh, comes with the job. Right. But everybody makes their choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of plug the, the Zoom meeting for our patrons, mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Um, I think it's instrumental the, the, for folks that haven't run a business or don't know how to turn their hobby, whether it's making cutting boards or something uh, larger or smaller, how do I turn this into some sort of money-making operation? Yeah. Yeah. And we should say it's not woodworking. It's woodworking specific, but it translates directly to making anything really. It, right. Exactly. These things will work across the board, uh, especially for things that are time and material based. Yep. Cause that's really what it woodworking is based on. All right. Want to read the next question? Yeah. Here's our next one. Uh, what do you guys use to cut rough lumber down to rough lengths? I don't have space for a miter station, so I'm curious what you think is the best way without one. It's from Rob, Rob Vincep on Instagram. Well, Rob, um, we do use our miter saw. That's about, you know, it's, it's 90% of what we use that miter saw for is to cut rough lumber. Um, but we don't have a, a like a full-fledged miter station. No. <laughs> we got like four feet on both sides of the saw, though one side flies out across the doorway. So that's what we would use if we had like a 10-foot piece that yeah. needed to be trimmed. And we actually <laughs> cut a hole in the wall on the other side. So we have a little door that will open up and slide the piece through. We get that's another right. couple of feet. So you don't need a big, fancy, you know, we don't have... Uh, what, what do you call those uh, stop blocks, stop and, blocks stuff, yeah. and things like that? We mark everything with a tape and a pencil. Well, Rob's in Brooklyn, so I'm assuming he's got like no space. Yeah. So if he doesn't even have a miter saw, what do you suggest? Uh, well, handheld circ saw, but yeah, I mean, jigsaw. Jigsaw. You're still going to have to put that board up on something. I mean, I, I think that the space 
the biggest piece is in this equation is the board itself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got a miter saw that wasn't, let's say, um, uh, you know, let's say a 10 inch that, that just, uh, you know, what do you call it? Oh, non-sliding. A non-slider. Is that how you, you call it? A non-slider? Call it like a straight chop. Straight chop saw, 10 or 12 inch. Um, that's going to cut most of your stuff. Or yeah. if you have the dough, spring for one of those fancy miter saws that, don't take up a lot of space behind the saw. Yep. Um, I would still check out getting a miter saw. And um, if you had to temporarily set it up on a couple of things to, to make a temp station or, or something like that. Yeah. I think like if you don't have the space to store a miter saw, it really doesn't save that much time. No. Like if you're just, if you're, have the boards up on horses. You could easily cut them with a cirque saw. Um, you're going to run into less of an issue at binding with a cirque saw because there's no, true. there's no fences to deal with. Um, so you can just cut through it, cut straight through a piece without having it bind up or on this, on the miter saw, you need to take into account the fact that the board's not sitting perfectly flat against the fences and it's going to, it's going to yeah. bind up when you start to cut it. So you have to cut it in a specific way. Um, like you said, a jigsaw, yeah, I've seen a lot of guys who break down rough lumber with a jigsaw. Yeah, you know they make big blades. So you were talking about eight quarter. Uh, I uh, I forgot to add that into the question, but he was saying eight quarters uh, specifically. But yeah, you can get big. Yeah, uh, jigsaw blades. Yeah, why not? All right, so he's more interested really in the in the options to a miter saw. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Handheld circular saw, especially with nice lightweight one. That freaking ring doorbell. <laughs> I said, I don't have to put my phone on vibrate yeah. today. It'll be fine. Yeah, or a jigsaw. So, um, and, and, you know, you see a lot of people on uh, Instagram and places like that building little multi-purpose stations where a saw will flip over and stuff like that if you had uh, really the need for something and you wanted it, um, you could put a saw inside something. I'm wondering what other tools he's got in the shop. Uh, I think he just bought a saw stub. Oh. I mean, because he's got to have a or, a planer and a joiner if he's cutting rough lumber. Yeah, yeah, yep. All Did right. he just get a saw stop or is that somebody else I'm thinking of? Yeah, Capex. Yeah, you see this this next question ties into the uh to this one. Yeah. You want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. Do you use a miter saw for anything other than rough cutting the length? Doesn't seem like a lot of furniture makers use them for anything else unless they have a capex. That's from Nicholas, Paul Nicky one on Instagram. So yeah, Rob did just get a saw stop because we were speaking about yeah. uh he was asking for our, our thoughts. That's cool. Um yeah, we use that. You said ninety. I'm gonna say ninety-eight <laughs> percent for rough cutting. I mean, you know when we're over there, cut like we need a piece of wood twenty-six and a half inches to work as like a, a spacer. Jig or something. Or a jig. Yeah, that's what that saw gets used. It's for. not for for fine, uh, repeatable cuts. Right. All the cross cutting we do when we're making furniture, we do it on the table saw. Um, I'd be, you know, John Peters would be a great person to ask cause he's got a capex. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder what he uses his for. I think he still uses his Hitachi for cutting miters. Mm. He's got it set up with yeah. a, you know, zero clearance fence and and you know he's got a saw stop mm-hmm. and he's got his Powermatic. So he's got a similar setup to us as far as like the the tooling. I wonder if he does any more um you know more accurate type work on his Capex. Yeah, I think a lot of people over um uh over revere the the miter saw. Yeah. Everybody on YouTube's got a miter. Yeah, check out my plans to build a miter saw station. This and that. No. You got a perfectly good table saw right there. That blade's yeah. not moving. You want to cut with something where the blade's moving around? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, our miter saw and its station, as we'll call it, they are the ugly stepchild of this shop. If you have a table saw, that's the better choice. The only thing that the, the miter saw does better better. Is crown molding. Yeah. That's the only thing it does better. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and for me, I don't think a Capex would change that. Like, we love our Festool stuff, but you don't really ever hear us lusting after the Capex because mm. that's not how we use that tool. And I don't think having a better version of the tool would change that. Even cutting moldings, yeah. uh, like mitered moldings, we're going to go to the table saw. Yeah. Yeah. It's a more solid machine. Yeah. This is a $5,000 table saw. <laughs> the Capex isn't a $5,000 miter saw. No. There is a, uh, that is reflective of something. This thing is more yeah. solid yeah. and it, it stays straighter and more rigid than a miter saw ever will. It's just yeah. the blade is stationary. The Capex is a nice saw. Yeah. It's not as robust in real life as I imagined it would be. No, none of the festival stuff is. Yeah. It's that's not that's not their thing. They're all yeah. about the finesse. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the way we use it, I want to see something that looks like, you know, it could take down a lumberjack. I'd feel bad, you know, cutting yeah. rough lumber on a yeah. Capex. <laughs> like we were abusing it. Right. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna move on then. Uh as I do more projects. I'm always trying to find ways to do things more efficiently, effectively, quicker, or easier. Things that make the process easier, not cutting corners or compromising quality. Stuff like using reference measurements rather than maths, other tips and tricks picked up from YouTube or Instagram, ways to use equipment, etc., etc. What are some things that you've picked up over the years that have helped with uh, or improved your workflow and efficiency? Or is there some method, technique, or idea that you were taught or were shown that took your work to the next level? This is a long question. (laughs) On the other hand, I found that for some things, there just isn't a shortcut or easy way to do it. You just have to put your head down and get to it, like sanding or doing proper and accurate layout for joinery. What are the areas you feel that you just need to slow down, take your time, and do it right? That's uh, from one of our... Good patrons, Miles. So the first part of that question, Miles is looking for ways that might help him be more efficient and accurate yep. in the shop. Um, I think something that really was a springboard for me 
Um, as you guys know, I started out as a as a finished carpenter. So watching stuff by Gary Katz about muscle memory and uh, just marking, measuring, marking, and cutting uh, was a big help to me and really improved my accuracy. So it, it could be something as simple as that. Like you see people who have sloppy measuring and marking etiquette. Like if you're using your tape in different hands and different sides and it all comes down to muscle memory at the end of the day. These yeah. tasks are not difficult per se. It's all about doing it and getting that muscle memory and, and being able to repeat them accurately. So um, I think something like that may help like a, a, a Gary Katz carpentry video as yeah. it may seem simple compared to woodworking, but there's a lot of parallel. I, you know, what you said resonates with me. It's like, where do you keep your tape and your pencil mm -hmm. um, when you're mocking? You know, you and I, we're, we're nuts about this stuff anyway, but the pencil goes here, the tape goes here. So you know you're not having to think, where's my tape, where's my pencil? Yeah. Your, your hand movement is there, and your hand, if your pencil somehow is gone, your hand is still looking for it in that spot. Yep. Um. So there's there's that element of it that improves things across the board. I like that. What about the idea of uh, reference measurements rather than using math and transferring numbers, which always has a little bit of uh, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I'm a big mistake. fan of that. I like marking things rather than measuring when I can mm -hmm. using known. Uh, like we have the sh the little spacers over there that are thirty second, sixteenth, eighth quarter whatever right um even going back to when i was a trim carpenter like i never measured casing i would hold it up and i would mark it mm -hmm. because there's always a chance for a mistake when you're measuring right right yeah i like that too i like making like little dummy sticks and stuff like that when i'm fitting a lot of doors into a case i like to make little scrap sticks mm -hmm. and lay it out um so i can see it and then I'll take that stick and put it to the fence and set my stops to that instead of a number. Um, because that's where that, Oh, I, I mismeasured by an inch kind of thing. Oh, I forgot to forgot that I burned an inch on that one. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that or, um, and so ways to use equipment. Uh, I think it goes back to what you said, Jeff repetition. Yeah. Try to develop good habits things that are going to carry over from process to process, um, workflow and efficiency. Yeah. Trying to minimize your movements. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a big thing in like production trim carpentry. This, this whole Gary Katz thing really ties in. Um, like when I, if I'm doing production trim, my piece, I'm always working from the right. Uh, how would you say this from the left, from the left to the right? Like when you read a book kind of thing? Um, no, I guess it would be right to left. Like all the pieces are moving to the right on the saw, on the miter saw, because that's, mm -hmm. that's the main tool in, in finished carpentry. So like you're making your cut, your piece is going to the right, you're measuring to the right, marking, and then making a cut. Everything is, your, 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 uh, your waist is always on the left side of the blade. Like, just getting in this flow of everything moving in one direction mm -hmm. and, and 
minimizing your movements. It can save a ton of time and, and make things a lot easier. Yeah, it's great to get your eye used to that too, like where that mark is and where your blade's going to fall mm-hmm. if the waist's always on the same side. Yep. Um, and sometimes uh, it's, it's not needed. Sometimes you just don't want to do it. But for the most part, we want to do all our stuff at the same time. Like if we have to joint mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff, let's join it all. Let's plane it all. Let's sand it all. Um, you know, working by myself, there were some days I just couldn't do it. All. <laughs> the, the mental That's fatigue fair. was just too high. So I would break it up and, I'm go, and I would come in and go, I'm not going to like make all the door parts today because I just can't do it. I'm going to make <laughs> the door parts for these two cabinets. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if I have to repeat. Right. But if if we're talking about efficiency and effectiveness, well, then you set the stop to if we're going to cut our tenons uh, on the on the saw with the dado well do it once get it fit and perfect yep run at all 70 rails in style uh rails yeah just the rails i guess you're doing the tenants but um yeah i mean we all know it takes uh five minutes to do one thing but to do two it takes eight minutes you know right. it's never and it keeps going down yeah yeah is there anything we well you you've mentioned Gary Katz um that we picked up I mean I I never really learned too many good habits having worked here by myself for all this time I probably learned more about efficiency from working with Jeff because <laughs> he a little, was a little obsessive over it Yeah and you were in that environment Yeah so you you know for me it wasn't really an essential skill um I would just you know, I'd come in, there's a pile of work. I just pick something and do it. Mm-hmm. Put your head down, as <laughs> as Miles says. That was my school. But, you know, watching Jeff, I see that he's got a lot of tips in that area and tricks about how to work um, efficiently. And that's not like a mechanical thing either. That's it's it's very natural if you if you get in the right habits. Yeah, and well, like the only way to get ahead <clears throat> in a as a carpenter is to do better work faster. So it's right. like you want to make more money and, and well, you got to you got to put up or shut up. So um I was always looking for ways to do things faster yeah. and better and so um and still just be, well now it's about making money. Like if we can get the job out a day sooner, right. that's a day that we got paid that, you know, so. I, I just had a flashback to my kitchen days because like as a prep cook, mm-hmm. that's what you want to go is to the line. And you want to get that 50 pound bag of carrots done. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember going into that prep kitchen and learning all these. This is the way I'm going to set up the mushrooms so that they could come out. And this is the way I'm going to hold them and slice them. And, yep. And it's true. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Like you're not going to have the carrots over here and some of the stems are going this way. Right. Some of the stems are going that way. <laughs> They're going to be all lined up. up the same way. I do that over here on the dado saw. If I'm cutting parts, I have all the tenant, all the grooves facing one direction yeah. so I can grab the piece. I turn it right. I put it down. I pull the thing. So it's, it's just getting into these, making those repetitious uh, tasks as smooth and as quick as possible. Yeah. Cause you shave a half a second off each one. Well, then you save 10 minutes. 
And then that yeah. compounds into every other task. I'll tell you one thing that I do that uh, um, helps me if I'm doing a lot, a lot of stuff, like say on a table saw where I have to do a lot of repetitive cuts and I have uh, 50 pieces stacked up. I always like to put a little X on the face that's going to go either against the fence or, you know, I pick a spot mm-hmm. so that I don't have to second guess how I have that part stacked up because yep. in our line of work, the way the board's facing means everything because we're always picking the right face. There's a grain match. So even though it's the, you know, it's not going to affect the size or anything like that, it's going to affect the layout in the piece. And right. So we have to keep track of all that. And that's a great help to me because now I don't have to second guess that this is this other side the good side or is this side the good side? They're very close. Yeah, like I'll have it so that I grab the piece and it gets turned counterclockwise. Right. Every piece there, yeah. is that, it's getting pulled the same exact yeah. way. I like to be able to see the mark, too, as I'm running it past the cutting thing. Gives me that little extra bit. <laughs> I'm not that crazy. I take care of that before I start cutting. I see it going in there and I know it's the face <laughs> I did good. (laughs) Is it a wonder we get anything done? Yeah. (laughs) The amount of nuttiness that's going on in here. That's part of craftsmanship. Yeah. So, uh, Miles, I think think you got the the answers. I think you know the answers already before Mm -hmm. you're asking them. What about the slowing down? What are some things where you have to just, there's no trick, you just got to slow down? Yeah. Uh, sanding's one of them. I mean, you really, you have to do a thorough job. Sometimes hand planing, trimming, um, and also, even though we're, uh, you know, trying to be efficient and quick, we never rush the machine. You know, let the machine do its job. Yeah. Like the wood shop teacher used to tell us in the seventh grade, let the saw do the work. Mm-hmm. Um because that's when accidents can happen. You yep. know, you always want to be safe. Get yourself a saw stop. Yeah. I mean, we always got two stop. or more people in the shop, though. <laughs> that's another. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I just glanced at the print, the font size for our patrons. It's I, getting tiny. I know. I had to squeeze it onto this page. I got to figure out how to get half of wow. them up over there. Well, that's the last question we got. We yeah. hope we uh we did a good job answering that, Miles. Yeah. Um so what did you think of the beer of the week? I loved it, actually. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, we had, we yeah. had that mishap. <laughs> yeah. Wait until I'm I, I don't know what the what the guy's name is. We're actually we're talking right now on Instagram, but um he's like, Oh, what time's it go live? I'm like, I said, Yeah, it'll be on YouTube later and he said, Oh, make sure I, I check it out. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't say, wow, we totally, totally botched the, uh, the poor. The, the delivery. Game, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the only, isn't that, uh, this brewery, it's like the only black owned brewery in Arizona. I, I think. know it was the first. The yeah. first. Yeah. Yep. So it's holding a pretty unique spot in the marketplace. Yeah. I'm really interested in trying some of his other beers because yeah. they, he's got some that are like super hazy, which yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of. I mean, smell it now. Wow. Almost floral. Yeah, like cotton candy almost. Yeah. 
I'm gonna say it was it was one of the better of recent memory. Yeah. Um, and we've had a few. <laughs> yeah. We we've literally tried 31 different beers. Better than More, that, uh, actually. Than that, uh, what do I want to call the it? The one last week? Yeah. That, that was probably the worst beer we had. Yeah, that was pretty bad. That The Kona. Kona. Kona Brewing Company. Well, um, it, was a, it was a big facade. You know, I got big, taken in. Big Wave or something was it called? Or, uh, Longboard. Longboard, yeah. yeah. It's like made by Budweiser or some yeah, shit. Yeah, I was, I was totally um, bamboozled because it came in kind of like... Longboard. Hawaiian beer. Made in Kona. And it came in kind of like these different sized little bottles. Like it, it looked crafty, didn't it? Yeah. Yep. Um, That's what they do. They buy. They start out as, and then they just buy them up. Yeah. It it wasn't any good. No. No. It tasted like like a shitty Corona. Yeah. It wasn't any good at all. Um, and that was probably the only. Even there were some beers that were a little bit wacky tasting. Yeah. That waffle sauce. Right. It wasn't. This was, they weren't bad. They just mm. were just like out there. That waffle one was bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, for a different reason. Yeah, it just wasn't good. This this was bad in like that, that cheap kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Like. Even like we had like, didn't we have Labatt Blue yeah, or we something? Yeah, Labatt's that was better than that. That wasn't as bad as. No. No. Um. So two thumbs way up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if uh, it's available somehow on the internet or anything yeah, like that. On, on Instagram, Kitsune, K-I-T-S-U-N-E, brewing. Yeah, Under the Moon was this particular beer. It's at Kitsune Brewing Co. on Instagram. Arizona Craft Brewers United for Beer Independence. Cool. Good stuff. I mean, the smell now is... I couldn't yeah. smell before it was so damn cold, but <laughs> yeah, if you like hops, you will like this one. You know, I'm not a, I, typically I don't really like a hoppy beer, but this I'm a hop head. Was, this was nice I, for whatever other things they have in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's definitely malty. It's got that caramelly. That's why it has that, that more of a, a golden brown kind of uh, color. I probably like more of a malty kind of beer. Well, you like Guinness, so yeah. yeah. That's, oh, that's so a, there, that's, that's a malty, dark, a dark malt. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. So I definitely like malty beers. Yeah, yeah. I like them all. Yeah, for the most part, <laughs> non-discriminating. Yeah, I have a, I have a, a sophisticated palate. I, <laughs> I want to plug the uh, Patreon event going on next week. We'll be doing it. Prior to the podcast, that's uh, next week, Wednesday, April 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, you can sign up for that uh, through our Patreon. So we'll be doing uh, pr- uh, pricing and prefabrication protocol, we're calling it. Uh, we'll provide you with our spreadsheet for pricing so you can plug in quantities and numbers of hours and it'll spit out a number for you. Yeah. Um, our scope of work letter so you have a, a, a template to work off of to be able to you know, present these jobs to your clients. Two nice templates. Yeah, so it'll be about 90 minutes long. Uh, if it's anything like usual, we'll probably run over that. <laughs> yeah. um, we plan for a half an hour. Yeah. And we'll go We'll go 90. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, go to our Patreon to find out about that. Something that we're going to be doing um, more often, at least a couple times a year. We haven't, we haven't figured yeah, it out. Yeah, this will be our first one, yeah. so we'll work out some of the bugs, I'm at sure. At least quarterly. Um, but, yeah. And 
hopefully we'll get some feedback mm-hmm. and maybe uh, some ideas for what you know the next topic might be. Yeah, this will definitely be a a learning experience. I think it'll be a YouTube live. Um, we haven't figured that out yet, though. That's the thought at this point. Yeah. I want to thank our gold tier patrons, Jerry Greenan, David Murphy, Manny Siriani, Dustin Fair, Adam Pothas, David Shoemaker, and Colin with no last name. Like Madonna. Mm-hmm. Or who's some Sting. Another Australian there, Colin. Oh, wow. That's cool. Australia loves Green Street. Yeah. At least those two guys. No, we got a couple. We got Jack. We got Miles. We got Colin. Uh, who else are we friends with in Australia? How many people are in Australia? We're we're chipping away at the population. There's got to be a lot. Australia is big. Yeah, it's it's deceptively big. The maps. Uh, I don't know. It's one of those map conspiracies. Yeah, it's definitely one of those the the Western European and uh, American powers making the map. They're like, yeah, it's just this tiny little island over here. <laughs> You get down to Australia, takes like 12 days to get across. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole damn continent. <laughs> yeah, we, we're going to blame the public school system yeah. for our oh. ignorance there. And for, yeah, for more than that, too. Yeah. But yeah, thank you guys. Uh, maybe we'll see you Wednesday, next Wednesday. Yeah, at I hope the, so. Uh, lecture, is that what you want to call it? A yeah. Cla- a class. Green Street Lecture Series. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be... Uh, uh, giving out like a little syllabus beforehand mm-hmm. so you can take a look at it. And the documents will be, uh, you know, given out prior to Wednesday. That way everyone can look them over, come up with some questions. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, see Sign you guys off. next week. Episode. Everybody be well. 32. Yeah. Ciao.